So a uh, quick recap. The uh, disciples have, have gathered together, as the Lord told them, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And as they waited, um, a uh, sound as though a mighty, a mighty wing, a wind came. And the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And those that were gathering, waiting, praying in Jerusalem were filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues, which, which means languages, that, uh, that all around them heard. And, and uh, they're saying, wait a minute, these, these are all Galileans in there. Why are they speaking in my native tongue where I was born? Yes, I know Hebrew name, Aramaic or whatever, but why are, they, why are they speaking in this language of the land I came from? And they heard them speaking the wonderful works of God. They heard that and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the mockers amongst them said, oh, these guys are all just drunk. So Peter stood, stands up and he says, guys, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he quotes the prophet Joel, where Joel spoke of the, the Holy Spirit being poured out in the last days upon believers. And Peter begins a, a sermon, and that's where we're, where we're, we're picking up here, uh, is kind of in the middle of that sermon, verse 22. And Peter's addressing this, this, this crowd that has heard these, uh, the wonderful works of God being spoken, and uh, he's also heard those saying that everybody's just drunk. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a circus that's happening here, and he's addressing them. In verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So Peter, as he's speaking with them, he says, hear these words. Now in verse 14, as he's in the middle of this sermon, he's already told them for them to heed his words. There's, this has been a problem in the, in the, the history of Israel is to not hear those that came preaching the word of God. And they, were reje they would reject uh, prophets, uh, not only reject them, they, would often, they often killed them in the scriptures that we can see. Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 13 to Israel, he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, uh, your children together as a hen gathers her brood, under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. So Peter's saying, heed my words in verse 14. In verse 20, 22, he's saying here, you know, hear my words. He's saying it again. If you're going to hear anything, you need to hear the gospel. It's important for us as we're studying through this to realize that in John chapter 1, Jesus is described as the word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You go to chapter. You go to verse fourteen. It says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." Jesus Christ is the Word of God. One hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. Peter is saying, "Guys, I need you to pay attention to me because I got something important to share with you." And as he as he says, he's he's calling them to a deep conversation. You'll probably sense, uh, as we read here and as we just read, a, a pay close attention to. Now, I think all of us can understand sometimes when things are really important, when somebody's voice changes, right, their tone changes, you can hear with certain tones, this is a serious conversation. They're hearing that in Peter's voice as, as he's, he's talking to them. He says to them, you've already rejected the Christ before. Here's another chance. Now, getting somebody to hear is sometimes the hardest thing. You know, to, for somebody to actually pay attention. Maybe we were the ones that it was hard for somebody to get our attention, right? If we look back, like, yeah, that was me. That was me. I didn't want to hear anything that anybody had to say about God. Just know, if, if that was you, look back and thank God that he didn't give up, right? And understand that as we're trying to minister that he's, he's going to do the same work through his word, through you. It's not probably not going to be common for us. I uh, had a great conversation with some new friends of mine, and I heard of somebody coming to salvation, 
as somebody shared the gospel with them for the first time in a park bench in Germany, right? She's sitting here in the back of the room. Somebody loved her enough to come by and minister to her and pour Jesus Christ into her life as a 17-year-old in Germany. Do you know Jesus loves you? Sit down and have the conversation. Sometimes it might be that easy for us as Christians. Walk up and God pours out into our heart and says, hey, go speak to that, that person. Go tell them that I love them. It might be that we have 100,000 conversations with somebody and they're just not getting it. Keep praying. Keep praying. We might just be the one that's planting the seed. We might be the one that's coming to water. But if the Lord is still calling to that person, there's still time for them to come to him. We know that uh, in Peter in, in Stephen's address in Acts chapter 7, he calls the people of Israel stiff-necked and hard of heart. You know, when we are in the middle of ministering to somebody, understand they might have a stiff neck. All those muscles are too, you guys know, stiff neck, right? You're not quick to turn, right? When you turn, it hurts. They don't want to turn. Stiff-necked and hard of heart. That we don't, we, that's not a good thing to be said of us. But it might have been said of us before until God broke down all those walls and, and called us. And we, we respond to him. Matthew, well, this was uh, uh, the verse we had on the back of our youth group's T-shirts and sweatshirts over in Washington. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The truth. What's really cool, I shared this story before, so forgive me if I have shared it. I don't think it's, I think it's been a while, but that was back in 2001, maybe 2002. Uh, our youth group over in Calvary Chapel, Spokane Valley in Washington, uh, we wanted to have a name for our youth group. All the kids are like, we need a name. So uh, you know, we were coming together with some stuff, and we're like, truth. How about T-R-U-T-H? And, and somebody made it an acronym, uh, totally redeemed under the heavens. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. I didn't come up with that. But, and I, but, but what really got into my heart was, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? The truth of the gospel. That was in 2001, 2002, somewhere right around there. And probably 10 years later, I'm in Bangor, Maine at Dunkin' Donuts at work. I had just said, you know what? I need a coffee. And I go out to Dunkin' Donuts and I walk in and immediately I see the back of the t-shirt that, uh, that somebody's wearing. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is like 10 years later, guys. And, and I, I just stopped what I'm doing. I walk right over and I, and, and I see the front of the, of the shirt. And I looked at it. Are you from Spokane, Washington? Like, yeah. How did you know that? <laughs> I said, I was part of designing that T-shirt, and I got to. And she's like, "Yeah, what does it mean?" I'm like, "Oh, it's it's about it's about the truth of Jesus Christ. That, that you know, let everyone he who has ears to hear, let him hear the truth of Jesus Christ." She's like, "Oh, okay, you know," and she just like she didn't know what the T-shirt meant. Guys, that was ten years later. Just that verse that'll always have a special place in my heart. Peter is calling out to everyone around, and he's saying, "Hear me, he who has ears to hear." Let me let let them hear, Jesus said. And Peter's saying, guys, listen to me. Pay attention. If there's one thing they need to hear and we need to hear, and this generation needs to hear is the gospel. This is the first sermon preached by the disciples after having the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And he, he starts it with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, remember, nobody, remember what Nathaniel said. He's like, could anything good come out of Nazareth when we started studying in the book of John? Uh, months ago, he's like the question's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So when they say Jesus of Nazareth, it wasn't known as this popular town, but they would know who Jesus of Nazareth is because he became pretty popular, and that's how he was known, Jesus from Nazareth. And he was this. Uh, what we see here is is that it says that these there were great things done by Christ in front of their eyes. Says that there are miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. In your midst, right in front of their eyes. And the Jews were constantly expecting and requesting signs of Jesus during his ministry. And uh, I've got a, a few verses here to, that we're going to go over together. As Jesus had just cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, So when I say cleanse the temple, he's like throwing over tables and driving people out. 
driving out animals, and he's saying, you've made this place a den of thieves. They were stealing from people. They were, they, were, uh, they were using dishonest scales to say, oh, well, your money isn't worth this much. You need to get temple money. And, you have to, and so there were, there were things that were happening that were driving people away from wanting to worship the Lord. And the Lord went in there to set things straight. John chapter 2, verse 18, right after he does this, they're all saying, they come up to him and say, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You know, what sign will you show us? Luke 23, verse 8. When Jesus was right before being crucified, he was brought to Herod. It says, now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. He wanted a magic show. In response to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answers and answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against uh, with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Lastly, Paul speaking to the, the Corinthians and speaking uh, of signs. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Jews seek after a sign. They were constantly asking for a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. And uh, they, they had seen signs all along, miracles, wonders, and signs from God. And uh, what we can come to, you know, if we're doing math, you guys know I, I was never a great math student, but I can come to this conclusion when I add it all up. And I've shared this before. This won't be new. Seeing is not believing. Israel saw people being raised from the dead, raised from the dead. And the end result after seeing somebody raised from the dead and hearing Jesus preach was they want to kill him because he raised somebody to dead on a special day on the Sabbath. Think of how foolish that is. Hard heart, stiff neck, right? They were too focused on their own religious practices to understand that God's not confined to their religious practices. God's so much greater than that. Seeing is not believing. Consider everything that they saw. If you reflect, if you don't know Jesus' ministry, go back and start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll know what everybody was able to witness. The sick being healed, the lame being able to walk. Dead raised to life again at his word by what he said. A leper that was untouchable, Jesus would put his hand on him and heal him. They saw all those things, yet they still did not believe because the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the scripture. So when Peter's calling, saying, Hey, listen to me, I got something important to say. By the way, you just killed the Messiah, right? You think that might grab their attention? It sure did. Verse 23, Peter continues, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God knew exactly when the Savior needed to die, and he knew their rebellious and murderous hearts, and he came at the set time. He came when crucifixion was prevalent. You can look back to Psalm 22 and look at the the prophecy of the the savior dying where he says they pierced my hands and my feet 
It would have had to be in a time where someone would die by crucifixion, right? When you read Psalm 22, you read Isaiah 53, there is nobody else but Jesus Christ. There's nobody else that fulfills the scriptures like Jesus did. Somebody, might, somebody may say, well, that person died by crucifixion. It could be him. Okay, let's line up the 350 uh, Old Testament prophet, uh, prophecies that pointed to Jesus Christ. There's only one. There's only one that could fill them all. And he said that he was going to die by crucifixion. The Romans had adopted it and perfected crucifixion. Very cruel way to die. Awful way to die. Often died by asphyxiation because they couldn't push themselves up to get the next breath. So they just suffocate to death. Horrible, horrible way to die. Hanging naked on a tree. That's, that's awful. Awful way to die. That perfect timing. Peter says, you have taken by lawless deeds and crucified him and put to death. You have taken him and done these things. You know, the, the guilt that was on uh, Israel, the blood that was on their hands. We have to understand that has that the fact that it was the Jews that killed their own Messiah has been used to kill the Jews and to point to the Jews as the ones that were wrong. There are, this, this world hates the Jews, hates them. There is replacement theology that says, well, the, the Jew, God's all done with, with the Jewish people. He is absolutely not done with the Jewish people. Absolutely not done. The church has not replaced them. We're not. How prideful would, is that, right? Do you guys see the pride in that? Oh, no, now, now we're, you know, God's all done with Israel. No, even Paul said that they will be, they've been taken out for a while and then they're going to be grafted back in as we were grafted in. God's not done with the children of Israel. He's not done. And guess what? We're guilty. <laughs> he died for our sins. He's the one that came to die for us. So we want to, I love how Will always used to tell us, when you're pointing the finger at somebody, there are three more pointing back at you. I love that. Because we're so quick to point to people. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Remember, Jesus even said, he knew, it's not like the, the crucifixion was outside his control. He knew exactly when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, all that. And he submitted his will to the fathers and went in obedience to the cross. Remember, Jesus on the cross said, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. So they're feeling guilty. And we'll see here that their hearts are just wrecked here in just a moment. Verse 24. Peter continues, with whom, uh, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So verse 24, so he had, he had poured out that they had killed the, the, the Messiah, who you killed, that you, you crucified with lawless men, lawless deeds, having crucified and put to death, he says. God raised him up and loosed the pains of death. Now that word, pains, is odin in the, in the Greek, and it means a pang or throw, especially in childbirth. That, that same type of, uh, it has that same type of importance there. The loose the pains of death. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, Bible scholar, said this, It was not possible that the chosen one of God should remain in the grip of death. The abyss can no, uh, can no can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. Death can't hold on to the Holy One, just like a pregnant woman. When the baby's coming, it's coming, right? Right? Our, our last child was, uh, uh, she was, uh, Natalie, uh, she was uh, scheduled for a C-section on a Monday. Guess what? Jen went into labor on Friday. C-section was Friday. When that baby's coming, the baby's coming. Can't stop it. Just like if you use it in that, that, that context, the Holy One can't be held by death. It's, it's, it, he can't be. 
I'm going to read that quote again. It was not possible for the chosen one of God that the chosen one of God should remain in the grip of death. The abyss can no more hold the redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. The best they it can't hold the redeemer. John chapter 10 verse 17. Jesus speaking, he said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it back. This command I have received from my Father. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus speaking to John on the island of Patmos in his revelation. And it says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus Christ is alive. So when Peter is getting their attention saying, yeah, you killed him. And he says, whom God raised up. And then he goes into... Uh, quoting Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And he's speaking of Christ's resurrection. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So David represented the greatest king that Israel ever had. And Peter made it clear that David was, uh, wasn't speaking of himself. He was both dead and buried. His tomb is with them. So when he says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. And he had quoted Psalm 16. And he's, he's telling them, guys, the one that made that, that prophecy, the one that said those things, he's gone. He's dead. We've got his bones here with us. He is dead. And he, he, what he does is he uses the fact that David knew that this psalm was prophetic. You know, God had sworn to David that through his flesh he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And he was prophesying that the Christ would be born of his lineage, as God had revealed to him. And David prophesied of a resurrected Christ. So Peter is here explaining the words that David, uh, that David said couldn't be about him. They had to be about Jesus Christ because David is dead, right? He's dead in his bones and he's speaking of one that still lives even though he was dead. That's not David. David didn't die and come back to life. David was prophesying. The Lord revealed to David, and he was, he was telling of something, foretelling of something uh, that was to come. So Peter explains here that the words of David couldn't have been about David, but they were about Jesus. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out uh, this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter makes it clear that Jesus has been raised up and that they were witnesses of his resurrection. And he says that he's at the right hand of God the place of honor and authority. You know, if you look at the scriptures, it talks about the right hand of somebody. That's the place of honor and authority where Christ came the first time as the suffering servant and now sits at the right hand of the father. But someday, and I believe very soon will return as the conquering king. He will. There's nothing anybody can do to stop that. So he's, he's quoting here uh, Psalm uh, 110, verse 1, where he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So David was speaking of one that's greater than him. As these things are being said to this group, as Peter's talking to them, Scripture's being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. They had, they had witnessed uh, and, and what they were saying here is that these people were ones that had witnessed the risen Christ. 
that Peter and the whole group had witnessed the risen Lord. These things had happened in their day. You guys know there are, there are things that happen in our day where you're like, wow, in all of history, uh, you know, this came about. The internet was invented, right? And it's hard for me to explain to my kids, like, yeah, you don't really understand a pre-internet world. Like, when you needed to know, know something, you had to go to the, you had to go to the library, right? And you had to find the encyclopedia, right? And open that up, or yet, and then you had to go find the the little Rolodex to find out, okay, well, where is where is this going to be? Okay, I got to find this, and I and I could never read it. I just bring it up to the librarian, like this has got a bunch of letters and numbers and and everything, and they're like, oh, it's right over here, right? Think of what what has happened, and we can go, oh yeah, that happened in my lifetime. These guys were alive when the Christ came. And Peter's letting him know, you guys didn't recognize him. You guys didn't recognize him. And he was put to death under your watch under, and in your time. But he, and, and then he says, but God knew this was going to happen. It wasn't like this was out of God's control. He had, a, he had everything set. The scriptures are being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And, and as this unfolds, we'll get into a little bit more of how he's just priming them for, uh, to, to come to Christ. He mentions here the promise of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised in John chapter 16, verses, we're going to look at uh, verses 7 and 13. Verse 7 of John 16 says, Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, the Helper being the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So what he's saying here is you've got to let everybody know that they missed the Messiah. The one that they had been praying for and waiting for because they missed the Messiah because they were waiting for one that was coming to deliver them from the, the cruel reign of Rome. So when Rome is ruling and reigning and had taken away all their freedoms, giving them a little bit to hold on to, they were just waiting. Can we be delivered? Can we be delivered? They didn't understand that the scriptures spoke of one that was coming to deliver them from a much crueler master, sin. That would lead them to death, spiritual death. Rome could take them and lead them to physical death. It's the spiritual death that none of us really want to experience. That, that spiritual death. We're all, unless we're raptured, going to experience physical death. It's going to happen. It's the second death that's not a, a, a fear to the Christian. That has placed their trust in the risen one that died for them and covered the sins. The second death. Let all Israel know. Look at this again. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The one the ancestors longed for. Well, he came. You guys didn't recognize him. You didn't understand the scriptures like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. All those scriptures that pointed to a suffering Savior. You didn't. You missed the whole point, is what he's saying to him. But God had made him both Lord and Christ. God is still in control. Jesus went obediently to the cross, obedient to the will of the Father. It's a heavy message to hear. Like, hey guys, guess what? You killed the Messiah. Look at their response. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were cut to the heart. When they heard the message that he had to share with them, they were cut to the heart. Now, for the Christian that understands the scriptures that's heard it, we know that everybody gets cut to the heart by the, when they hear the gospel. There's there's a pricking of the heart that happens when the when the gospel is preached, and there's either uh, there are two reactions to it: one salvation and one rejection of the gospel. 
They might be on pause, and maybe it will come later. But that salvation that will come, when they're cut to the heart, we see here, this is a cut to the heart of sorrow, of what did we do? And they literally ask, what do we do now? Yeah, that happened, and you're absolutely right. Now what do we do? Peter doesn't say, look at them and say, no hope for you now. Right? What does Peter say to them? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Men and brethren, what should we do? What do we do? <laughs> we're, we're lost. And Peter was ready. You know, I've talked about this before. If you've ever played slow pitch softball, that's what this is. Ball's coming right in. Peter's ready. And Peter says, repent. If you don't know what repent means, it means to change directions, to change your mind, to turn in the opposite direction, 180 degrees. You're going in this direction. Peter says you need to turn around and turn toward God. You've been running away from God. You need to turn to God now. Turn from sin. Yes, are we going to have a still, as Christians, do we still have a sin nature? Yes, unfortunately, that's still there. But God still builds us. He's, he strengthens us. He's greater than our sin. He can help us. And he, he, he sanctifies those things, uh, us from those things. And he calls us in, to maturity in our Christian walk. But understand the salvation that is needed. Jesus Christ is, is the one that can save us. And when we place our trust in him, when we turn from sin and we start following Christ, that's the point of salvation. Then he says to be baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. It's where we, as believers, are demonstrating that the old person is gone, that old sinner is gone, and the new believer in Christ has been raised up. Right? That's what baptism is. It's a symbolism. It's a symbol of being your whole body being put underwater. Now, I'll tell you right now, there are heresies, false teachings that say if you're not full body uh, underwater baptized, you haven't been baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, you're not saved. Every single time something, and I'll just say it's stupid like that, comes out of someone's mouth, gracefully tell them, did the thief on the cross have the opportunity to go get baptized? No. And what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. We are saved by grace through faith. That is it. There's nothing we can do. Baptism is, a, is an act of obedience. We're called to baptism as a public profession of our faith, but it is not something that, oh, well, you were only sprinkled. And guys, sometimes they'll get to the point where they'll say, were you baptized in Jesus' name or were you baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Because there's a difference there. One didn't count. Really, because when, when someone has, will say to you, well, if, you've only been, if you weren't baptized in Jesus' name, it doesn't count. Really? Well, Jesus said, baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say his own name. Uh-oh. Right? Guys, that's legalism. Why? When someone wants to place their faith and trust in a Savior, why would someone want to ruin that? That's our enemy causing division. We need to identify that and say, hey, your enemy's lying to you. He's trying to disqualify you from salvation in your own mind so that you'll walk away from Christ. Those are silly things. Do we need to be baptized? Absolutely we should. Because we're making, did we sin publicly? Many of us so publicly that we didn't care. I got video on, cool, even better. You know, more people will know how cool I was, whatever it was, right? No, the public profession of faith. Saying, you know what, that old me is gone. The new one has come up. The new believer in Christ. Old things have passed. Behold, all things are new, right? If anyone is in Christ, old things have passed. Behold, all has become new. And Peter continues after he speaks about, and by, by the way, I grew up Catholic, and I'm not just trying to start fights with everybody here. We can talk later if, if, uh, if this bothers you. But I grew up Catholic. I was baptized as a baby. I had no, I, I couldn't make any, I didn't even know what a thumb was. You know what I mean? I didn't know anything, but I like to suck my thumb probably. You know what I mean? It was one of those things, but I was baptized as a kid, and my parents had me baptized. It's not like I have traumatic experience about it or anything, but that didn't mean anything for the conversion of my soul at all. 
It didn't. That was that was just something that's a tradition that's been carried forward. Baptism is an act of that inward change that's happened. I am laying down my old my dead. Christians sometimes we like to do this, right? We like to drag our dead carcass with us, right? Hey, I want to hold, still hold on to the sins, so the dead me I'm going to drag along, so I can still. No, it's supposed to be gone forever, and then the new one come up. That's what Peter's talking about. Repent, be become a new person by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just be like, hey, cool, I'm just going to do this all on my own thing. Yes, could we live moral lives? Can people live moral moral lives in the eyes of this world outside of uh, Christianity? Yes, there are people, they're not breaking into things and stealing and doing all these things and everything, but they don't know Christ. They've rejected Christ in their life. Peter said, when they say, what shall we do when they're convicted by their sin? What does Peter say to them? Repent. Be baptized, and he says, and you shall receive the gift. You shall, you will, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when someone professes faith, then he now comes and indwells us. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and teaching us. And as we, we spoke earlier of, of the uh, what we were talking in John 16, that the helper would come, and he'd come alongside us and guide us and teach us. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We cannot earn the Holy Spirit outside of salvation. There's no way to, no thing I can do to have the Holy Spirit without submitting my life to Christ. We also can't buy it. Simon the sorcerer learned that in Acts chapter 8, which, which we'll cover here soon. When he saw all the things that the, that the disciples, uh, the apostles at that point, were doing, and, and how God was working miracles in and through their lives, and he was a magician. And he wanted that power to do those things. And what it, Peter rebuked him very sternly. And I love the way Ken Graves says it. He says, "You, Peter said, Peter said, you, your money perish with uh, your money perish with thee in the King James." And I love that Ken just said, "You and your money can go to hell," because you thought you could buy the Holy Spirit. We can't buy the Holy, and because if we can buy it, then he's going to find some way to extort it, people out of money and say, hey, well, if you want this, you can pay for it. You see what I mean? We can't buy the Holy Spirit. We can't sell him. He's a person. Now, looking at this, we see a very simple salvation road. Repent, get baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's gospel hasn't changed in the 2,000 years that we learned about it. And we're not 2,000 years old, but this, is, this message, what we're reading, is 2,000 years old. And it's not harder for anyone to be saved than anyone else. It's not harder for God to save the hardened criminal than it is for the, the, the one person that maybe just did one little sin. It's not harder or easier. It's all the same. Sin is dealt with. It's been taken care of. Now think about it. They, Peter told them that they had crucified the Christ. <laughs> How much more guilty can you get, right? We're guilty of the same thing, that Christ died in our place. The gospel doesn't get easier or harder. The gospel is the same. The scriptures tell us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. We're all hopeless outside of Christ. So Peter says that they need to turn from sin. Walk in newness of life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the summary of what Peter told them. Now, this is where every Christian starts, right? This is, this is where your spiritual be journey began. Any of us, when we come to the fact of understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we've asked Jesus Christ to be that Savior, no matter the background, right? Okay, if, if for us, if we're wondering, was I on my way to hell? Go open 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it lists all kinds of people on there. Partiers. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'd have to raise my hand right then. Right? It's who I was. It goes in and it's listing partiers, murderers, sexually immoral. It's talking about homosexuals. All those people that are listed there will not, and not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says, but you were washed, but you were cleansed. But we were saved. Change from that. There is salvation for anyone who's willing to place their trust in Christ. You know, we shouldn't look and go, oh, well, God couldn't save that person. Guess what? 
nobody thought they would that that Paul would have become a Christian. Remember when Paul became a Christian? Everybody's like, uh-uh, not going to believe it. <laughs> and they had to be convinced. No, really. No, really. He does know Jesus now. And he had to be introduced. And everybody's like, this is the guy that was killing Christians. He was killing Christians until he met Jesus. And then Jesus had a whole different plan for his life. Well, we're going to be a little bit over because of communion and uh, and our beautiful concert we had, but I'll, I won't be too, too much longer. Verse 39. With those things being the very foundation of our faith, look at verse 39. It says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Peter references the promise is for you and your children, their lineage. Family was everything in that culture, in the Jewish culture. Family is everything. You want, your, your family is your closest thing. We get all, all distracted here in the United States. We're, we'll sacrifice our family for anything. You know what? I'm, and it's it's sad, but there's so many things that we put in front of our family. I'm not saying it's bad to go golfing or go, you know, have some time, you know, guy or girl time to go do some things that occasionally. But when those things become the more important to us than our family, and they're they're stealing our time away from our families, they're not the they're they're not a priority where they should be. In our lives, when he's saying the promises to you and your children, remember this: these this same mob said his blood, Jesus Christ's blood, be upon our hands. Right? Remember that? Well, guess what? You guys did some stupid stuff and by lawless deeds crucified the Messiah. But it's to the promise of the Holy Spirit can come to you and your children. I know that this was said, but you need to understand salvation can come to you and your children. He says, be saved by this, uh, from this perverse generation. Uh, if you look at our generation we're looking at right now, they were, in this, they were facing the same things, just different way. Our enemy has the same bag of tricks, guys. He just repurposes it, re-puts new faces on it. It's the same thing. Rebellion from God, whatever it is. Rebellion. What was his first trick? Has God really said? Question the word of God. Then just do what you want to do. Don't you see that, that the fruit of that tree looks good and it can make you wise? Just go ahead and do it. Our enemy has not changed. His tactics haven't changed. We're just, as human beings, easy, weak targets. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to protect us, to save us from this perverse generation. This all applies now. And for us, as we're sharing the gospel, we can say the same thing that Peter said. If you want a quick reference guide to be able to share the gospel, uh, here are a few, uh, a few quick verses. Probably heard of the Romans Road before. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Because of, uh, and then if you look at verse 623, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We've sinned, but there's a gift from God of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see the road there? We're sinners. There's no hope for us. But then the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, he died for us. And then once we've accepted him, we've been justified, which means made acceptable by faith, we can have peace with God. We're no longer running from God. Or, or thinking we can't come to him. Once we've come to him, then we have been justified. And now, for the rest of our lives, as we are uh, walking with the Lord, and we're trusting him for salvation, there's no condemnation. Our enemy and our flesh will condemn us, but from God there is no condemnation. So when our enemy, if you're a believer, is condemning you of your past, we can just say, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and move forward. Push that aside. 
Don't let the enemy rule and reign and say, he can't save a sinner like me. No, we just read. All have sinned, but God had a different plan. There's no condemnation if we're, uh, we are Christians. Guys, I bring this up because I know there are people, I have to assume that with, I, I don't know how many people are in here this morning, that some of us struggle with our past. The past is gone. It's gone. It's no longer here. There is no condemnation to us in Christ Jesus. If we have placed our faith and trust, the past is gone. We're the ones that keep bringing it back. Us and our enemy. God doesn't condemn us. John 3.17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from our enemy. Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Then those who received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now what a wonderful work of the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 souls saved from the death, from the second death, the spiritual death. Spiritual death to hell. These lives are changed, saved by God. There's a change, there's a baptism, the old's gone, the new is in Christ. 3,000 people. That's a lot of people. For the first Christian sermon preached, 3,000 people came to faith. So powerful, we're reading it 2,000 years later. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember who Peter was, the sinner that told Jesus to go away because he was a sinful man. The one that denied Jesus three times and then was restored into his personal relationship with Jesus. Restored into his ministry by Jesus publicly. This is the man that's speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit to the lost. 3,000 people saved. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly, talking about those 3,000 and the rest of the group. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of, of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So once somebody has come to faith, they have become a Christian, this is the model that we follow. We get plugged in. We get plugged in. We, we find a church, one that we can break bread with together. Breaking bread, spending time together, eating, fellowship dinner. Great, great example of that. We would break bread together. Just fellowship. Just have time together. Break bread and pray. Now their soul is being fed and properly nourished. As they're in the word, where it says they continued steadfastly. Steadfastly in the word of God, in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine was the Bible. It wasn't like, okay, now we're going to sit down, we're going to read Time Magazine. And I'm going to teach you from Time, or I probably shouldn't. Just say a magazine. We're going to read this news article, right? They probably wouldn't appreciate that. But they, this, this, we're going to read this news article, and I'm going to give you three points in a poem, and we're all going to smile. No, it was growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's what was happening. I didn't know God, but now that I've come to meet him, I want to know more about him, that they get plugged in. This is not a church growth thing. I'm not saying, hey, now everybody's got to come back. You do as the Lord leads you, but I know the Lord is always going to lead us to fellowship. We're not to forsake that fellowship. We, you guys know that one. I've pounded that home, will pound that home. Not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as some have taught. That's what Hebrews 10.25 tells us. I said I wasn't going to, but I just did. Growing now in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord, they're experiencing the fulfillment of God in their lives. They didn't want to leave. They continued steadfastly in these things. And the, the disciples were continually being uh, mightily used by the Holy Spirit. It says that they had everything in common, that they willfully had sold everything, and uh, they were providing for everybody's needs because it wasn't popular to become a Christian. 
Oh, you lost your job? No problem. We got we got some food here. A bunch of people sold some stuff, and we're going to pay uh, for you to eat. Come, just be in fellowship, and let's let's pray. Let's study. They were taking care of one another. It says that they continued daily in one accord. What I like here is says simplicity of heart. They now have peace. Doesn't that sound like, just think of the word peace, not peace, man. You know, the, the, the hippie way. It's not what I'm talking about. Peace with God. Peace with God. I don't know about you, but I didn't have that for a long time. I wanted it, and I wanted God's mercy. And I wanted God to just forget about the bad things that I did, not see the bad things I did, but but maybe reward me for the couple good things I would do. It was torture. Not knowing. Have I done enough to, to, to make it to heaven? I love that the, the scriptures are so easy. If, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. Done. Really easy. Just come to faith in Christ and get plugged in. Start growing in your faith. It says that they were praising God and having favor. And it says the Lord added to the church daily those who are being slaves. God does the work. It's his church to build. It's the Holy Spirit going and moving. Tell me you didn't feel, uh, when you came to the point of, of salvation, you couldn't look back and go, oh, God started ministering me here and here and here, and then that all come, gets tied together, right? And then we come to salvation. That's the Holy Spirit working. Any man that takes credit for that, like, oh, yeah, I pulled him aside, and I told him everything, and it was my work, and I said it this way, and I really, I gave him this really intense look, and I put my hand on him, and I was shaking as we were praying. It's absolutely none of us. God doesn't need us. God does that. God added to the church daily. God was the one at work. He was using people. He wants to use us. He wants to save us. He wants to build us, and he wants to use us. Amen? If we want his blessedness, we need to submit to him. He will work in and through us individually and as a body. Here uh, in Calvary Chapel and Trenton and other churches in this neighborhood that love him and are seeking him and in churches all around the world, as we're seeking him, he's going to use us and bless us. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? <laughs> oh, great, gracious Father, we thank you for this message of grace that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you provide all that we need to be saved. It's so easy just to place our faith and trust in you and to walk with you. That you would care for us, rebellious sinners, mocking you with how we lived, changed by your grace and mercy because you love us. Lord, we want to be built up. We want to be used. God, uh, uh, today many of us will go and be around our families. Lord, let your word be in our hearts and come off of our lips. That we would share your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day and God bless you.